over a span of 2,000 years, 40 authors on three different continents and in three different languages penned 66 books, all of which were supernaturally inspired and intricately designed as God's revelation to man. The spoken word of God, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, recorded and bound just for us. Join us on a journey from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, the big book, cover to cover. This is Michael Easley in Context. Well, again, it's my delight to have Dr. Charles Bayless on the broadcast. If you heard our discussion on First John, you'll know who he is. But let me just simply say he's a professor of Bible exposition at our alma mater, Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Bayless and I were classmates. He went on to be a smart guy and teach at seminary, and I went on to be a pastor and a hack theologian. So anyway, Dr. Bayless, thanks for being back on the broadcast. Well, uh, just to clarify that, you were in a, a, a different elite group than I was, so we never, you know, he, he never came down to my level. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't right. think we knew each other well till after. Uh, yeah, that's it. true. That's true. We were all scared to death in those classes, the Greek and Hebrew, and <laughs> reading 12,000 pages of church history. And yeah, it was. That's right. That's right. Oh, goodness. All right. We want to talk today about these very brief letters called Second and Third John. So. I'm not going to ask you to do a recap of First John because uh, folks can go back and listen to that broadcast if they didn't. But g- give us a high view of these two very brief letters, 13 verses, the way we count them, and 15 verses. Okay, one of the things that I, I want to do is just see these uh, books in sequence. Just to recap, John, First John, was trying to reaffirm the believers that they alone had access to God because they trusted in Jesus Christ. And he wants them to endure in that. He warns them against the false teachers who would have other ways to God through the law, through good works, through whatever. And it's these two sides that he has warned them in 1 John and wants to confirm and get them to endure in Jesus Christ. Now, when you move to 2 John, the problem comes up is these antichrists, these unbelievers who are saying they're children of God, are now coming back into the assembly and trying to get support, get greetings, become part of the, quote, fellowship. And so John is, again, confirming to them to stay in the trust of Christ and reject these false teachers. Now, I'm just going to go ahead to Third John. What happens in Third John is one of these false teachers who rejects the apostles and what they say is now in the pulpit. So now this movement into the church in Third John, the church has now changed and is being run by a false teacher. And instead of taking care of the brothers, the brothers are being excommunicated for taking care of the Christian brothers. So everything has reversed where the false teachers are running everything and excluding the brothers. And if I could be so you know, advanced, go over to Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, and you have Jesus knocking on the door of the church that he died for. In other words, he's outside the church asking to come in. And so you see this movement, although actually from the gospel of John, where Jesus separated it clearly, those who believed in him and those who didn't. To 1 John with a warning, to 2 John, don't bring them in. 3 John, now they're in the pulpit. Uh, Revelation 3, where now 
Jesus is outside the church uh, knocking on the door. So anyway, that that's kind of the, the quick summary of uh, Second John is the stay faithful to trusting in Jesus and be careful not to incorporate these unbelievers into the fellowship of commonality. So let's ask you some specific questions. Who's the chosen lady? Uh, <laughs> back, back to the beginning again, okay? You have the uh, seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. From the woman would come this Messiah that was prophesied. And so you have this woman imagery all the way through that is Israel. But actually, if you look at Revelation 12, it's this remnant, this believing remnant. And then you have, of course, the, the woman imagery as the bride of Christ, of course, which is this believing remnant of Jews and Gentiles incorporated. And so uh, this appears to be that he's referring to this lady as, in essence, the church here. And her children, of course, are believers. In the last verse, he's going to say, your chosen sister greets you. So again, it seems that he's still in the family of God issue here. So I don't think it's a real lady. That's what I wanted you to explain, because I think people, we get, eschatology is not what it once was, but it still comes back and, you know, Steven Spielberg-esque imagination of what the end times are going to be like, and we're looking for individuals and labels and times. I just wanted you to clear that up. Now, following your your argument, the way you're unfolding 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, boy, this is low-hanging fruit application, Dr. Bayless. I mean, how many churches have you and I seen in our lifetime, seminaries, that would follow that way you just explained dissension of the false teachers are in, they find their way in leadership, they're actually leading, and to use your chilling picture, Christ is knocking on doors and, hey, can I come back in my church? Yeah, it's, it, it, it is the issue if you go over to Europe where the Reformation took place and you try to find... Bible-believing churches, you know, where are they? You know, England, same thing. And so we see this all the time, is this incorporation of the world's philosophy, as you mentioned, do not love the world, the world's philosophies, as opposed to Messiah as the only hope. And it incorporates, um, you know, the Ivy League uh, schools, which, uh, you know, originally were evangelical, and, uh, or at least most of them, uh, as I understand it. And and it moves, and churches move that. I always say the river flows one way. Uh, churches start incorporating all these issues and everything else. Uh, and I don't want to go into those. Those have to, you know, sometimes those are pertinent. Sometimes they aren't. But we need to be careful of the ones that are sourced in the world and always sourced in the Bible is our issue. Yeah, and it, and it creeps in. And then uh, when it, once it creeps in, then we start singing Kumbaya, putting our arms around them. Uh, supporting them. And John says, talks about giving him a greeting. It's really giving him rejoicing. You know, John's rejoicing because the believers have stayed faithful. And he says, you know, don't give them rejoicing. In other words, uh, they, they aren't, they aren't part of the body. So second John I mean, verse yeah. four, I to your point, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. On the one hand, it's an encouraging statement. On the other, it's just depressing. <laughs> I was very oh, yeah. glad to find some of you. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's rejoicing uh, greatly is the word there. And, um, and it's for believers. It's the apostle again <laughs> with his family. And he's, 
he's happy that they're uh, they're enduring and um, enduring sometimes is not easy because all this infiltration that you get on the news and everything else and they leave it's interesting to me that uh, when I go to some of these uh, websites uh, news websites rather that are kind of a uh, pro-christian and I read some of the opinions that are somewhat I think pro-christian and they don't mention the name Jesus you know they talk about God and how God will help you out and I'm going but you know it's like this overall universal message yeah. I'm going, you need Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's it. If he hasn't forgiven your sins, you're not in the, in the family. And uh, again, we, we love like God loves. We want them to be in the family. It's interesting. During our time in the Washington, D.C. area, we had um, a chaplain that I won't name, but he was reprimanded for ending his prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, and he never yeah. did it again. And I thought, number one, he needed a little courage uh, and number two, what a sad point for a Christian to cave to where he or she is unwilling to name the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 7 of Second John, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So what's his wordplay here about many deceivers, and this is the deceiver, Dr. Bayless? Uh, let me um, take you back to the beginning again. <laughs> That's your transition segue. I've learned all my questions. Uh, easily you're wrong. Let's go back and get this straight. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's no, okay. I, I, what, I, what I do is I found that it is understanding the biblical story. When we read John and we see these allusions, it, it just keeps going back. John talks in, I think it's 1 John 2, 19. He uses the same term. They went out from us, apostolic doctrine. And he says, they went out. Um, and we say, okay, they went out from our church. They were once believers, or they were something like this. He's actually alluding to Cain. And uh, if you read about Cain, it says, he went out from the presence of God. And in the Greek, it's the same word. And so what he's talking about here is these deceivers, antichrists, who do not believe in Jesus as the Christ. And they are deceivers. That's the word for Satan. And so they are deceivers, and they do not acknowledge Jesus coming in the flesh. That's John chapter 1, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. So that's the whole, I mean, that's the gospel there. Okay, this is, this is gold. So, so help me out again, help us out again. You're saying that when John in these epistles is referencing the one who went out, he's illustrating Cain. That's yes. your argument. He does it also in First uh, John 4. One, they went out into the world. Yeah, and if he just would have said that by itself, but his whole movement, particularly in First John, is back to Genesis 1 to 4. So when you see gone out, and he's talking about Cain and things in First John, then, then you, uh, you pick that up. And so I, I think he's using the same thing here, because he's obviously using the same terminology, deceivers and everything that he used in First uh, John. So Ed Cain, of course, was an unbeliever, never was saved, never acknowledged that he rejected God. In fact, he's the image of the first antichrist, first uh, false prophet. Hebrews uh, chapter 11 talks about that. His warning in the, the latter part of Second John, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. What's he, what's he telling us here? 
Well, I think. Go back to the beginning. I, okay. <laughs> no, I'm going to be real honest here. Okay. Which I hope I've been all the time. People say, well, I'm going to be real honest. Well, what have you been before? But exactly. Yeah. Uh, maybe this is transparent. Uh, the too far is a reference that escapes me. Okay. okay. I, I can't find exactly what he's talking there. I, I think he's just talking about goes astray or something like that. But again, it's these two sides. See, anyone who go, it does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not stay in this teaching, does not have God. One who abides in the teaching, he is. So this abide is, you know, it's a kind of a nice uh, warm term. It really is just the word remain or stay. And, and that's what he's saying. I think he's talking sanctificationally here, that sanctificationally, you can go astray. And you can go, just like you talked about, we have these two choices all the time, sometimes gradually, sometimes a little bit, sometimes a lot. And John's, John is warning these believers to stick with Jesus. And you probably run into more than I do who abandoned believers for a certain amount of time and abandoned the faith to different degrees. Maybe they don't come to church anymore. Maybe they'll go further. I don't know. But this is the contrast here. Over and over again, from the beginning, it is all Jesus. Johannine theology uh, uses, you mentioned abide simply as remain or stay, uh, but that's a big part of John's theology is abide, abide in the vine, yes. by the branches, abide in his love. Expand a little bit more on that. So, so when, when, and what I mean by the question is when a, a Christian is reading his or her Bible and they go, I need to abide in Christ. What's that mean? I, I can't do any more than what the word means, which is stay. You know, it's used over in uh, John 1, where I think Jesus stayed with, uh, who was it? It was uh, Andrew and uh, probably John. And he stayed with them a couple of days. Same word. It's a continuation. And so it isn't, you know, we have an emphasis on salvation, you know, and, and who's saved, not saved. Nobody go through that all. It's salvation. And I'm going, you know what we miss? We miss sanctification. We don't find yes. a value in sa sanctification. I said, look at this. You're, you're walking with the creator of the universe. <laughs> you know? and, and we said, well, I'm not sure what it means. I'm going, every iota of your life, God is walking with you. He's walking to the kingdom, and you're on his path. And you're intimately involved with him through Jesus Christ. And this is your walk. So no matter what happens to me, he's guiding my path. And we, we don't have an emphasis on this sanctification. We say, well, you get saved, and now, I don't know, I guess you try to be good. I'm going, no, you love Jesus. You study the word. You fall in love with him, and you exhibit his love to others. And that's the, that's the value. You're a different person. Yeah. And so that, that's what the abide is there, in my view. I often use the uh, illustration, God's word, God's spirit, God's people, that if you're not exposed to God's Word on a regular basis, submitting to the control of God's Spirit in your life, surrounding yourself with God's people, and I don't just mean going to a church, but people that will tell you the truth. I use an illustration. You may remember one of our other grads a few years ahead of us, Dave Gibson, and he's been a great friend for almost 40 years now, and I often say, Dave knows when I need a dope slap or when I need encouragement. So when I, when I call and talk to Dave, because we've been through so much together over the years, he has my best interest in mind. I have his best interest in mind. And he is, you know, Michael, I'm not sure if you need a dope slap or if you need encouragement. <laughs> and and we, we joke about it, but it's a, that's what the body of Christ is about. So God's word, God's spirit, 
submitting to that control and that sanctification and God's people to shape it because we can't do this alone. That's, That's right. what the, the That's whole right. fellowship of the church is about, not a building. And I emphasize, again, you know, you won't find a Christian, if you find a person who's in God's word, submitting to God's spirit and around God's people, he or she's probably doing pretty well. It's that yeah, simple. I, I would agree. One of the statements I say back to God's word and abiding in his word is, um, you know, people say, well, you know, this whole academic thing, you know, you can know a lot, and not be spiritual. And I say, well, that's true. But I don't know of anybody that's sanctified spiritually who doesn't engage in the word. In other words, you can't be sanctified without the word. Yeah. Some people read, you know, we read uh, Greek scholars and everything who know the word, but aren't don't believe saved. any of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's true. But sanctification requires, it's just like a marriage. You know, if you're living out in California and your wife's living in Tampa, Florida, and you never see each other, there's not going to be much of a relationship. The relationship grows as you involve yourself with your wife or husband. Uh, I tell people, the woman that I'm married to today is not the woman I married. And you know that every, every, you know that Michael, right? I married this girl I saw across the lobby of Grace Bible Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> Guess what? The woman I have today is, I know her much more. Yeah. And you both changed and you've grown. Ways. Yeah. That's right. So that's, that's part of uh, sanctification. Yes. And I, I agree with you. I think we've, we've perhaps overemphasized the point of salvation to the peril of the process of living faithfully. Well, let's jump over to the third letter of our friend John, uh, 15 verses as we count and number them. To the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Do we know much about Gaius? Not much. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was just you know, making sure I'm not completely stupid. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you're walking in truth, which is similar to what he said in Second John verses 1 and 2. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth, which harkens back again to First John. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. What's he talking about there? you have any insight? Well, it's a little hard to tell exactly who these uh, people are that are sent on their way, but they are brothers. And of course, so he's going back to the same thing. You give them this rejoicing, you give them the greeting, you provide for them, you take them into your home because they are part of the family. So whether they're traveling itinerants, probably as most people feel, or they're apostolic emissaries, I'm, I'm not sure. But the emphasis is they are children of God, and you are taking care of the brother. And so he's exhorting that and saying, that's your reputation, and it's wonderful. Talk to me about this, uh, I'm going to say diotrephus. You may pronounce it better or differently in verse 9. <laughs> I wrote something to the church, but diotrephus, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. And this is what you were referencing earlier about the false teachers are now in position of leadership. And notice he uses a we there. And he says, wants to be first. So this diatrophies or diatrophies, however you pronounce it, is in competition with the apostles. Uh, and so he's got a priority and he's going to conflict with the apostles. 
And it, of course, it says uh, he, he does not accept what we say. Now, when you don't accept the apostolic teaching, <laughs> guess what? Guess who you are? You're a false teacher. So this is what's going on here is this guy's in the pulpit. This guy's running the church. So it's continually trended throughout the epistles to where it's now reversed. Verse 10, for this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds and which he does unjustly accusing us, and back to your plural pronoun there, with wicked words, not say, not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Again, we, we can't speculate too much here, but there's a sense of what he's saying. Walk us through verse 10 a little bit. What's he calling out about this false teacher? Okay, what's what's happening here again is is he's in competition with the apostles, and he says he accuses us, the apostles, with wicked words. Now, just let that one soak in for yeah. a second, as opposed to letting the apostolic teaching infiltrate you with the love of Jesus. He's now accusing them of being evil. This actually goes back to John 16 in the Upper Room Discourse, where he talks to these apostles, and he says, you know, they're going to put you to death, and they're going to think they're doing it for God. And, and that's what's happened here. And so he's not just a rejecter of the apostles, he's, he's rejecting the apostles. You see this all the time in Pauline literature, where they reject uh, 2 Corinthians, for instance, they're rejecting Paul. And, you know, Paul is an apostle in the apostolic doctrine. This is, uh, this is very serious. But what's interesting, it's totally reversed, because remember back in 1 John and 2 John, he said, you know, don't give them rejoicing, don't include them. In other words, make sure these people aren't in the body. Well, guess what? This guy's making sure the believers aren't in the body. And if you exhibit this love of brother where you want to take care of your brother, he's rejecting that and throwing you out. You know, and this is a situation, uh, you know, maybe it's coming in America. I hope not. But you see it in other countries where you're a Christian, you got love of brother and you got a house church or something. You're under, uh, under great fear. So that's what he's talking about. Do not imitate what is evil. He's back to the apostolic doctrine, the love of brother. You keep this going. So we go back to Gaius. See? And he says, Gaius, keep it going. Okay. Don't falter because, as you said, these threats and people abandon praying in the name of Jesus kind of thing. He says, don't, don't give into it. Uh, Demetrius has received a good testimony from us and from the truth itself. We add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. So there he's circling back to his apostolic authority. I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. <laughs> yeah. You think he was upset or out of time or? <laughs> no, I think it's just, you know, the fact that the, the church is out, out of control. And so he's going to show up as, you know, coming in person, you get to defend yourself, you get to interact, you get to do all kinds of things that you can't do on paper. That's kind of how I see it. It reminds me uh, about Christ. You know, I have many more things to tell you, but I yeah. can't. And you just wonder what was boiling underneath. What do we know about John uh, when he passed away? When did he die approximately? Oh, I guess late first century. In Ephesus, I don't know if you've probably been there at his tomb uh, there in Ephesus. Yeah. You know, if I could say a word, uh, I went to uh, Ephesus uh, first time with my wife, 
And uh, as I was leaving, I said, you know, I wonder where the tomb of John is. And I missed it entirely. So I had to go back. I went with my son, Sam. And so we went to the, at least the traditional location of the tomb of John, which is up on a hill. Yes. And I always picture John sitting there writing <laughs> these epistles. And I'm sure you've seen it, but you know what he's overlooking? He's overlooking the temple of Artemis in the valley. And you're going, I mean, you talk about idols and everything. Oh, goodness, yeah. What was it that John was in the midst of? Was this really rich city? It was second only to Rome. And the god, uh, goddess Artemis, which is uh, in Acts, of course, where Paul mm -hmm. uh, had to face off with great as Artemis of the Ephesians. And uh, he went under trial for that. And, uh, you know, just sitting there seeing that picture of John there. But, uh, and he was exiled up Patmos. Patmos. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've been there. Uh, if I got to take my honeymoon again, I would probably take it to Patmos. <laughs> Beautiful island. <laughs> But yeah, that was uh, going to the cave uh, of the apostle, traditionally, of course, where he wrote Revelation. But yeah, John is a beloved apostle, yes. beloved disciple. You know, it's uh, interesting you mentioned Ephesus because touring Israel for so many years and then taking just recently doing some uh, Ephesus Greek type things where we we have a big one planned if COVID ever goes away to, to travel again, the journeys of Paul next summer, but I was struck with, you mentioned idolatry, and when you go from Israel, which you won't see any human form in any of the uh, carvings or lentils or pillars, but you go to Corinth, and it's pornography. I mean, the images that they carve all over, the, and it's an, as you said, second to Rome, it's an amazing city. I mean, the Colosseum there is breathtaking. It's like the Grand Canyon. When you go, you can't believe how big it was. And what was it? The largest library in the world, I think, at one time. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. And so you, you, you think about John and Paul's ministry there, and boy, they went from the enclave of Jerusalem and the, the, the safety of that into a wild west of, you know, immorality and sin and licentiousness that was all approved. It wasn't looked down upon. Yeah. Kind of like right. America. Timothy, <laughs> Timothy over there in Ephesus was being lured by uh, all of it, the riches and the... Kind of like America. Yes. Dr. Charles Bayless, professor of Bible exposition at Dallas Theological Seminary, thanks for your time. Thanks for your study and uh, your hard work to put this together in commentaries and print and teaching young men and women to uh, defend the Scripture. Appreciate what you do. Well, thank you for having me. I'm privileged to be here. I'm especially privileged, as you are, to be able to focus on and have the time to spend in the Word and teach others. I enjoy it thoroughly, and God is a gracious, gracious God. It is a remarkable thing to, quote, be paid close quote, to study the Bible, to teach the Bible, to explain the Bible to people. And as I said just last Sunday, probably not many Sundays don't go by where James' admonition, not many of you become teachers, brethren, knowing that you will incur a stricter judgment is sort of a haunting uh, reminder that we're telling people this is what the Bible says. So It is. Charles, have a great day and a great week. And again, thank you for your time, brother. Thank you, Michael. Blessings. 
Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Chad Cates and Blair Masters.